Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned for an exclusive in-conversation interview. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Authors on the Air. I'm Pam Stack, your host, but not today. Today, I am your technician. Uh, I am very, very lucky to have two spectacular crime fiction writers with me, but I'm not interviewing. So I want to introduce to you my guest host, crime fiction author Matt Phillips. Now, Matt was born in Palm Springs, California, and raised in the Coachella Valley and nearby Mojave Desert, High Desert. He lives in San Diego now, but his books include Countdown, Know Me From Smoke, the Bad Kind of Lucky, Accidental Outlaws, Three Kinds of Fool, Redbone, and Bad Luck City. His short fiction has appeared everywhere, like Mystery Tribune, Yellow Mama, Shotgun Honey, Flash Fiction Offensive, tough, I mean, just everywhere. He's earned an MFA in creative writing from the University of Texas in El Paso. His debut collection of poetry called Journeyman Vagabond Gadabout is available from CW Books. His current book is called You Must Must Have a Death Witch. And I'm going to let Matt tell you a little bit more about himself and his guest. Welcome to the show, guest host Matt Phillips. Hi, Matt. Hi, Pam. Thanks so much for having me. We're really excited to be here, and I'm excited to interview Lee Matthew Goldberg. Well, um, take it I'm away, my friend. Lee. It's all yours. Thanks so much. Um, so uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my friend and fellow writer, Lee Matthew Goldberg. He's the author of the novels The Ancestor, The Mentor, The Desire Card, and Slow Down. He's been published in multiple languages and nominated for the 2018 Prix du Polar. His first YA series, Runaway Train, is forthcoming next year, along with the sci-fi novel Orange City. That's right, two books next year. After graduating with an MFA from the New School, Lee's writing also appeared in all the places I've been rejected, including The Millions, Volume 1 Brooklyn, Lit Reactor, Monkey Bicycle, Fiction Writers Review, Necessary Fiction, an anthology Dirty Boulevard, The Montreal Review, The Adirondack Review, New Plains Review, Underwood Press, and others. Lee is the editor-in-chief and co-founder of Fringe, which is dedicated to publishing fiction that's outside the box. Lee's pilots and screenplays have been finalists in tons of places, Script Pipeline, Book Pipeline, Stage 32, The New York Screenplay, Screencraft, and The Hollywood Screenplay Contests. Lee is also the co-curator of the Guerrilla Lit Reading Series and lives in NYC. That's New York City. Follow him at LeeMatthewGoldberg.com. Lee, welcome. Thanks for joining me. 
Thanks so much for having me, Matt and Pam. I'm excited to do this today. Yeah, super stoked to, to uh, you know, meet you at least uh, online here. Um, we can't do it in person, yeah. unfortunately. I know. That's the way it is. Normally, we would just be coming off of VoucherCon right about now and would have been able to hang out for a couple of days. Um, so this is the 2020 version. The 2021 version will be a lot better, but this suffices for now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we met uh, initially, right, was VoucherCon Dallas. Super proud to meet you and uh, sort of um, get to know you a bit. But, um, you know, what I really want to talk about is your latest book, The Ancestor. Um, mm-hmm. It's published by All Due Respect Books. Um, I've worked with All Due Respect as well, um, an amazing uh, publisher. I, it's interesting. I had the chance to read your book back in, I guess it was April or May, before it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ho- you hooked me up with an advanced review copy. Um, basically curled up on my couch for three days straight reading the book. Um, only because I have a child, I couldn't read it in one sitting. But um, sure, yeah, super, super haunting um, novel with with sort of thriller tendencies, crime fiction tendencies. But also, to me, um, I mean, I think I compared you to Stevenson in the in the yeah, blurb I wrote that in was, the book. It's a really like honorable comparison. I was very touched. That's my MFA uh, uh, <laughs> speaking out. But um, I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, to me. Describe the premise of the book, and I'd love it if you could talk about where you sort of came up with that idea. Sure. Um, So the book is about a man named Wyatt who wakes up in the Alaskan wilderness, um, and he has amnesia, but he has the ability to, like, kill a wolf and skin a wolf and eat the wolf, so his survival instincts kick in, and he sees another man hunting nearby, and the man looks exactly like him. That man home to the man's wife and child, and all of a sudden a flood of memories come back of his own wife and child, except they're from the Alaskan gold rush era of 1899, uh, which if that's the case means he's been literally frozen for 120 years in time. Um, The idea of the book came, I had, it was winter time and I heard this song called the ancestor by this indie rock band, darling side. Um, And the Mm. first line of the song was go and bury me. And I just pictured a man buried in ice, and then what would happen if he woke up and had amnesia and the whole book kind of started to download from there. Um, so thanks darling side for the original inspiration. Love it. Yeah. It's funny. I stayed up late last night past midnight listening to, you know, live music on YouTube. Cause it's like, I, I find so much inspiration from music and, and I'll talk to you about that a oh, bit, yeah. in a bit, but um, I, I did want to ask, there, so there's another element to the book, which you, you somewhat mentioned. It's this idea of the doppelganger. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you talk to me about, because it, it seems like that part of the idea was like, let's take this really cool book idea and like extend it and make it almost, you know, super unique. Where did that come from? And is there any, or, or are there any books that, you think the ancestor is like in conversation with as far as literary tradition? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by this idea of like a doppelganger or bizarro that there's somebody out there that kind of looks exactly like you that's living this whole separate life. And I think I'm trying to think of books, but I remember um, not too far before I started the book, I'd seen this movie um, called enemy with um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, It's the same director. Yep as yep. uh, Blade Runner, uh, who has a very French last name that I'm not going to try to pronounce because I always F it up. 
Um, but he's a brilliant, brilliant director. Um, and it's such like a haunting, creepy movie about these two doppelgangers kind of discovering one another. Um, so I think that bled into the book as, as well. Um, you know, and then you have like, you know, a Dostoevsky novel that deals with it. And it, it's kind of a trope that's been used a lot in, in, in fiction throughout time. So I just wanted to give like a twist to it. Like, you know, what if there's a doppelganger, but they're separated by almost 120 years in time? Right. Yeah, super interesting. And, and uh, I, I'm going to butcher his name as well, but it's Denis Villeneuve. I believe yeah, he's, yeah, he's uh, the director yeah. and he he's, you know, won the Palme d'Or. He's, he's an amazing director, but um, the, I've seen the film and I know what you're talking about. There's this haunting element to it. And really the ancestor has that. And it's almost as if it's, um, you know, for me, it was like a horror novel wrapped inside a crime novel wrapped inside mm-hmm. this adventure novel. And I, I just, mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I think I told you this in my emails to you, but it's like, I'm just really, impressed with the ambition of the novel itself. Oh, thank um, you. As a craftsman, right? Like as a writer, do you, I'm wondering what you did when you ran into any sort of roadblocks in the novel. Did you have any roadblocks? Did it just come out? Can you it's talk a little of, bit about that? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the novel, it was, it was a very tough time in my life when I was writing it. My father passed away. So that kind of bled into the novel as well. Um, mm. So in a lot of ways, I almost don't even remember writing it. Like the book kind of became my therapy to deal with it um, and to deal with like the grief and the loss. Um, so I, I don't remember coming into any real sort of roadblocks. I had, had the idea a year before I started. So all the characters were really marinated in my head and there when, when I was ready to begin. And I always fully plot out a book. So I had each chapter, like these are the beats of each chapter kind of ready to go. The biggest difficulty was that the novel switches POV a lot. So it's told with, you know, the main two characters, but also a lot of the supporting characters through their POVs as well. Um, So my editor, Chris Radigan was a huge help because it was a big hot mess when I handed it into him and the POVs were all, all over the place. So I feel like I learned a lot about POV switching because it, it's very difficult to do. Um, and I think if I knew how difficult it was going to be, I don't know if I would have thought I was up to the challenge. Right. Yeah. And you know, I've had the good fortune to work with Chris on almost all my books. I mean, he, Chris Radigan is an, is an amazing editor and he yeah the thing about him is he knows the genre so well mm-hmm. um i think more you know he knows it better than either you or i combined probably could yeah. um yeah so that's helpful for sure yeah and i mean the other part you mentioned pov right which is really interesting point of view i'm also wondering i mean the book is written largely in the present tense as far as like mm-hmm. you know the tense i'm wondering about that choice like it feels so immediate, right? Like even when yeah. Wyatt, this, this opening chapter, when Wyatt wakes up, like did you consciously make that choice or did it come out that way? Yeah, I mean, I've done, my books I would say half and half in terms of present and past tense. Past tense is easier. It's, you know, we remember things because they already happened. So it's easier to kind of deal with it in past tense when you're writing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right that there was like this immediacy 
that I wanted. White also is beginning as a new person in the present time. He doesn't have a past. So it made for it to start that way. And then because I think I started that way, um, it just made sense to continue the whole book in in that way. But I've written other things in in present tense before, and I'm very comfortable doing it. I like sort of the – like um, I have a young adult book that's coming out, and that's in present tense as well. Like you're in the, you know, the shoes of a 16-year-old girl as things are happening. Um, So I enjoy writing that way. Right, right. And that book is called, just to remind the audience, that's Runaway Train, which is, is going to be released next year. Yeah, so um, coming out next year, and we'll get to, I'm, I'm going to be announcing it next week. Um, but yeah, oh, it'll, cool. it'll be my first young adult. So that'll be, that'll be a different kind of, you know, there's no real thrills in it. No, that sounds rad. I mean, that's a genre that uh, I think lots of us um, either want to write in or, or already have and love. So Mm-hmm. Um, I just read, I don't know if you've read this book, but The Chocolate War by Robert Cormier. Um, oh, like an old book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah super, super phenomenal, great book. And so that genre has such a rich, um, you know, history and tradition. So very cool. I'm stoked for that. Um, I, so I want to ask you about, like, some other stuff, especially rela- as it relates to screenwriting. But mm-hmm. before I do sure. that, there's one other aspect of the ancestor I really want to, um, I guess, drive into. And, and you know, you talked about your, your father passing and how that the book was a, a sort of a therapy, I think you said. It's almost as if yeah. you uh, were frozen yourself emotionally and the book was like your, <laughs> your place where you were doing the exactly. work to, like, escape yeah. that. Um, yeah, 100%. There, there's a... Yeah, cool. So there's a phenomenal love story in the book to me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a twisted love. I don't want to give it mm-hmm. away because mm-hmm. it's, it's a major faction of the book. But I'm wondering, can you talk, I guess, about maybe maybe how you look at romance mm-hmm. in your writing and how you deal with it and how it fits into crime fiction? That's not a question. It's just like, tell me your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Totally. Um so one of my favorite plot devices is a love triangle. It, it's just sort of the perfect way to create drama in a story. Um, and I've used it a bunch of times in different ways. Um, or I've even done like a love rectangle almost. Um, but here, yeah, I mean, there's a, the, a real main part of the story is, you know, these two doppelgangers who look alike and their love of um, this woman in between the two of them, who's one of their wives, and for the other one, reminds him of his own wife, who, um, you know, was from the 1890s, so who would not be alive anymore. Um, so there's, there's sort of a, a deeper nature. He, he, he loves this woman, but he really loves what she represents. And then in the present time, he really starts to fall in love with, with her um, at the same time when the marriage between um, the other two are, are, are really going through some tough times. Um, so... It, I don't know, it's almost like with this book, it's like there's so many subplots and there's so many different things happening. So I'm just kind of throwing like all like maximum drama as much as possible. Um, and sure. I really thought of, I really thought about this book, like I, I'm working on it as, as, as a TV series and that's really the ultimate goal for it. Um, so I oh, wanted okay, the I characters um, to be, you know, just as rich as the two leads. Um, so if, if and when that ever winds up happening, um, there's a lot to mine from, you know, these, these side characters' lives as well, and it becomes more of an ensemble 
type of piece. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I thought of something as you were speaking just now, which is like almost with that, that love triangle of the wife, um, there's this idea of like doubling the doppelganger concept because she mm-hmm. reminds Wyatt so much of his wife. So I don't know. It's super fascinating. No, yeah. I never oh. thought about it that way, but that, that totally makes sense. She in herself is a doppelganger because of what she represents to Wyatt. Yeah. Right. It's an emotional, um, I guess, tapestry to it. But um, really love, I, I guess I'll just say really, I, I want to talk, ask you about other things, but um, I love the book. I think um, it's one of these books that like I hand to every, I'm, I'm like, have you read this? Have you read this? Oh, um, thanks so much, Matt. Yeah, for sure. And and I, I know you've done a fair amount of press around the book and there's been great reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't listen to any of like those podcasts and stuff before this interview because I kind of wanted to like approach it with a yeah, beginner's sure. mind. Um, sure. So anyway, thanks so much for your answers. Um, let me ask, so let's segue into, I think like what I'll call the film biz or the TV biz. Um, uh-huh. You know, coming from an MFA, so, so I was like you probably, I was a writer long before I ever did an MFA, right? Like, like my yeah. MFA mm-hmm. was an excuse to like spend two years writing and like rack up student loans, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, but my question for you is like, in my MFA, we talked a lot about, you know, the different devices and, and things the writer has available to, to them in a book versus a, uh, writing a screenplay, right? Or the mm-hmm. devices that are different for a director versus a fiction writer. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering for you, when you're approaching your own work and basically adapting it, like what are, what, what are things that like don't work and how do you um, translate that into film? Like, can you talk about that a bit? Like what's your sure. approach? Yeah, I'm. You know, it's very hard. Screenplays are not easy, just like a novel isn't easy, and it's really difficult to adapt your own work just because you're so close to it. So you're almost like, I want to keep everything, and it's like, well, you can't. You know, like it's going to be a thousand minutes long if you do that. Um, so I was told, you you know, with the script, you want as much white on the page as possible. You know, it's really just kind of like dialogue, a little bit of action. And, that, and I remember when I first wrote a script, I adapted one of my books. This was before I was even published. And I took a class at NYU with a, a great screenwriter. And he was like, okay, you write really well. But he was like, all of this is just description. He was like, you spent a whole page describing, like, you know, what this person looks like in the house. And he was like, nobody needs that. Like, all, all you basically need is, like, the dialogue and then move on. Um, so that was a really good note that's kind of always stuck with me. Um, the challenge is, you know, it's like, I mean, I, I, I work on my own stuff because I had experience where somebody else wrote a script of one of my books and then the whole project fell apart because the script was awful. So, um, this person, you know, will always be on my shit list. And, um, (laughs) it made me, it made me be like, well, you know, like I should just do it myself because, if then at least if it falls apart, you know, I can only blame me basically. Um, But the challenge is that like, you know, in Hollywood, you really have to be established to get noticed. So it's very hard to be like, Hey, I wrote this script. Um, So even like what I'm dealing with right now with the ancestor, it's like, we have some interest. I've written a script. There's pretty much no chance that if the interest happens, it would be off of my script. They'll kind of get somebody else to do it. 
So right. we're in a stage where, like, if a showrunner gets involved, um, it likely will happen. If a showrunner doesn't, there's pretty much um, no chance that it will happen. Um, so it's almost like you're always just kind of waiting for that in. Um, and then once you have that, you can kind of establish things. So um, I don't know. I have my fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah, that's super exciting, and and I know what you mean. I worked in the film business a bit. I did some oh, programming yeah. for for a major film festival, and it's sort oh, of like cool. the same thing. Yeah, it's sort of like the same thing, right? Like, is my film going to get into the film festival? It's like, well, does the director know you? I mean, it's not yeah. that you know um, absurd, but it can be. Um, so I know where you're at, and and I've talked to. I, I think we both have, right? We've talked to writers with sort of like the alternate experience that you had, where you know, their, their book did get bought, right. Option. Mm -hmm. And then there was a screenplay written and they're just like, yeah, the screenplay was pretty good. Like it worked and it, maybe the film hasn't been made. I mean, I'm thinking of like, I don't know him personally, but like Frank Bill's book, Donnie Brook, um, you know, oh, there's yeah. some others, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. but, but like, it, I guess it's almost hit or miss. Right. So I love that you're taking it into your own hands and just, you're essentially, it sounds like, you're essentially using the adaptation to script as a way to gain the interest and, and get the deal done. Is that right? I mean, does that sum it up? Yeah, basically. Uh, like with my second book, what's happening right now is basically that. It's like I found these producers. I wrote a script. They're interested in that script. And now we're actually just waiting for that publisher to sign off on the rights. Um, so I'm hoping that that happens because it's a win for everybody. Um, but it's a small budget movie. It might not be enough for this publisher. You know, there's all these other variables. Um, so I'm, I'm almost trying to think as my career goes forward, um, like eliminating all these middle people that potentially <laughs> can kind of like screw up things for myself and really just, I don't know, almost being as selfish as possible and being like, well, I'm just going to control everything and that way to blame rather than like these randos who have the potential to kind of kill something yeah and i've heard i've heard that story also from other writers it's like you know to get something made you need like 25 yeses and you get to yeah. yes number 23 and that person's just like no <laughs> and, and it's yeah it's true and there. then that person they hold all the cards and 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 then it's done right. um so this thing i've been working on all pretty much since the beginning of the summer um we're at the sort of final point of it we're at kind of the finish line to make it happen um and there's one person if they're listening who's holding it up um, and hopefully that they stop doing that <laughs> <laughs> well i hope so too i mean i let, let's let's try to give them some incentive here so this novel the ancestor let's let's start there which is like yeah it's published by all due respect, and most of my books are published by all due respect. I don't think um, the press would have a problem with me saying they publish less than 15 books a year usually. They're mm -hmm, a small mm -hmm, press. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, clearly, I know you work with an agent and, and a, a known agency. Like, clearly you could have got this book placed mm -hmm. with a bigger press. I mean, was there a choice surrounding that? And is part of that the artist's control for you? Yeah, so we, my agent, um, we tried big presses, um, and it was sort of the same thing hearing from them. They were like, we love this book, but we don't know how to market it. And when we gave it to our marketing person, they were like, is it a thriller? 
Is it historical? There's some sci-fi. Like, what's going on? Um, it's so all it really that. Was that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know, it was like an alien. It was like they just had no idea what to do with it. And I was really kind of disillusioned and frustrated because of, you know, what we talked about before, like the book really means a lot to me and thought it was a really good book. And it had a real shot at a big press of like becoming something. And then I'm at a noir at the bar and I, I, I knew Chris because Chris had freelance edited the desire card for me. Um, so oh, wow. I hadn't okay. met him at, yeah, I hadn't met him at that time. Um, but he was amazingly, he was amazing at editing that book. Um, when, when it came out with Fahrenheit Press. Um, and so I'm at a noir at the bar, and I meet him for the first time. And I just am talking about this. And he was like, well, send it to me. Um, and then, like, two weeks later, I think he read it. And he was like, you know, I, I want it because it's, it's unusual and it's something I've really never read before. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it found, I think, it wound up finding its perfect home. Um, and and he, like I said, really cared for the book and um, fixed so much of the POV, which was a mess. Um, and um, I think really just had the best design to, to get this book out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and by the way, that's almost my exact experience with Chris is that he cares for the work, which I think when you're, you know, when you're doing the work every day to write, like that's kind of mm-hmm. the the main thing you need. I mean, I think all these deals yeah. and things need to come later, but, but, um, but that's good to hear. Um, and like, I, I feel sort of um, like privileged in the sense that we work with the same publisher on it. You know what I mean? So that's really great. Um, I guess I just want to also point out, I was just on Goodreads really quick and I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, the ancestor has a thousand and twenty nine ratings. Yep. <laughs> 159 reviews that mm-hmm. it's like oh, four and a half stars of all those ratings. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. so like, it's pretty interesting to think that professional marketing people couldn't figure out a way to market it. Like clearly the book has an audience and you pretty much have done it mostly yourself. So, um, yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, super I, awesome. I hired, thank you. I, I hired outside publicists. I spent a lot of money on, on this book. So, um, you know, that had a lot to do with it. It did really well on NetGalley. So like it, it got yep. a lot of reviews and, and stars that way, which I hadn't really used before. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a testament to, um, you know, some of these big five that don't want to take chances on things. And I think they, you know, I, I, I had a book with the big five and I had a good experience with them. Um, but I think, you know, when you're just dealing with marketing, it's like they're almost don't give the readers enough credit. Readers want different types of books. They like what they like, but they're also really open. And I, I had a lot of readers who have reached out to be like, I've never read something with sci-fi before, but I love that part of the book. I've never yep. tried historical before. Um, so, you know, you're dealing with readers. These are already smart people. They're reading books. So they're smarter than half of America already. Um, you know, and I think they're not like given enough credit in terms of what they're open to. Um, and I see a lot of indie presses that are doing like exciting things and putting out really interesting books and I'll see it in, 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 in sort of the big, the big press world. Um, but sometimes it's, it's more few and far between. And I, you know, I hope that they take more chances and, and, and really like discover new writers and put their work out there. 
Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you with all of that. Um, and that's, that's been my experience as well. It's like, man, if you just take a chance on this book, uh, readers are going to yeah. hunger for it. Um, or like maybe pretty don't listen to the marketing person for like one second. It's like, you know, right. Put them aside and like figure it out yourself. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. or maybe like there's an opportunity to, to market this work in, in a really unique way. Um, Mm -hmm. super interesting what you just said it's like it strikes me as interesting that the the idea that began with an indie band that i'm sure is like you know they have to tour to make it and they're probably struggling yeah like like yeah the book goes indie after you write it and like super successful and and so i think like that ethos of like DIY almost and indie mm-hmm. musicianship, I think really translates well to writing. Um, so mm-hmm. just like kudos to you for, for that. And thank um, you. Yeah, I, I do. We're going to run out of time really quick. I mean, I guess I'd say um, thanks. Just, just honestly, thanks for putting the book out into the world. Um, thanks for making the right choices with it. And I really mm-hmm. am hoping that um, the story continues a new life in another medium. Thank And yeah, thank you so much also for, you know, reading it, blurbing it for the interview and, um, you know, just supporting it as much as possible, Matt. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so this sure. is Pam. Uh, I'm coming back to, uh, to just say, I, I, I had I went I'm waiting for the book to show so I just bought the Kindle book anyway. <laughs> so oh, I'll okay. be reading it and and reviewing it along with, you know, the thousands of other people who love the book. You guys talk about something that I think is really important. Um you know, you Matt, you started off by asking, you know, about the traditional publishing route and Lee, you picked up your frustration with it. People like me mm-hmm. who, who like to read a lot of books and who like to read a lot of different books because I read across genre, except for horror. I don't mm-hmm. read horror, but mm-hmm. but um, it's frustrating to me to know that there are so many great writers out there, and I think you both will agree. We meet a lot of them at BoucherCon and some of mm-hmm. the other smaller conferences, you know, Killer Nashville, and ever, and it breaks my heart that there's such a limited engagement for those people who often can't afford to hire publicists or get on that galley and all. And you're right. It makes me wonder why in the world do traditional publishers only want a book that starts with girl because gone girl was so big or only want to do, you know, domestic psychological suspense because Ruth Ware is doing it or, or mm, whomever, mm. you know, I, mm. I want to see a variety of things. I'm, I'm fascinated that your book drew me immediately, you know, Lee, immediately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by the way, Matt, I went and bought yours too. Cause Thank these you. are, That's you're not, exciting. <laughs> you're, you're not in the mainstream and yet I believe you should be. Um, so for both of you, and let me start with Matt, our guest host today, what do you recommend to writers who can't find their spot in the big five or one of the imprints? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, Lee's story about meeting Chris at Noir at the Bar is a great example, right? I think that you have to find your tribe because yeah. the way I've been able mm-hmm. to be successful is I've met writers who have read my work and care about my work. And then that translates right. to getting published, which translates to readers. That's, that's the way to do it. I agree. Um, Lee, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think um, Matt's absolutely right. You know, once I started going to Noir at the bars and conferences, it's like I've, I've met so many people in the last couple of years that, and writers are so supportive, especially in the mystery thriller community. It's like yeah. writers are so supportive of other writers. Um, but I would say also to somebody like, if you're trying everything and it's not working, like just self-publish, like you have the means, put it out there. So at least you could start building a writing resume um, you know, I didn't have that option when I was younger because I'm old now and the internet didn't really exist in, in that way when I was like 20 <laughs> and starting out. Um, so I didn't have you, that ability. You're cracking me up. You're, you're so not old now. <laughs> I met you. We met each other at a BoucherCon. Uh, you're not old. <laughs> right. No, but I'm saying like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 42 years old, like 20 years oh ago when God. I wanted to get published. When I, but when I wanted to get published, I, I didn't have the, the accessibility and the means that somebody does right now. Just put something out. Um, so I think if, if, you know, if you're hungry, it's like, get, just get something out there. And you never, you never know who might see it. And don't okay, ever so take no for an answer. So both of you have the same editor. How important was Chris in getting your book to get the reviews that it's gotten, your book's to get the reviews that it's gotten. Because I will often hear, my brother is an English professor and he edits my books, or I go to my beta readers and that's how I get Mm -hmm. my edits done. Um, Mm -hmm. So Matt, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I personally don't believe in beta readers. That's my personal opinion. I mean, I feel like the books should be unique to me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I might get, I might have people read it and give me opinions, but I really love this idea of like the auteur, right. This, this authorship mm-hmm. that's unique to me. Um, but, mm-hmm. um, working with Chris, I mean, every suggestion he's made, I've taken because I believe he's been right each time. And by the way, he's rejected two of my books. So Chris, if you're listening, um, anyway, mm-hmm. that's, that's a whole nother thing. But, um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> because they weren't be listening enough, in right? some form, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> but uh, I think that, you know, it, it really is the right, and Lee's a perfect example of this, right? It's the writer's responsibility to put the book out there and to, or to get the book into a wider audience. Like, I, Pam, I go to like used bookstores and I'm like, hey, here's five copies of my book. Can you put this on the counter? I mean, and I sell books in those bookstores here in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, ta- I'm not talking great. to any bookstores. I'm talking used. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right, right. So, so that's well, kind of the method you have to take. Like, you got to be gorilla, you know. Yeah, well, as someone who, who actually buys books from yard sales and thrift stores and used bookstores, I will tell you that that always is a jump-off point for me because I'm I'm psychotic about series characters or writers that I like. 
I'll go and just spend, you know, I'll buy a hundred books at a time <laughs> someplace. I'll go to a bookstore and buy a hundred books because I want to read them in order or I want to know the characters or I like the writing style so much. Rarely, I, I, you know, authors who do not like the fact that people go to use bookstores because they're not making a, a commission on it don't understand that. Not everybody can afford to go pay for a brand new book. So to me, yeah. it's a great jumping off point to get to know an author. And yeah. and I, I mean, I drop off books all the time because I'm friends with the woman from the used bookstore that um, I've either have duplicates of, or it may be something that I've already read. I'm not keeping it on my shelf as it is 3000, 3000 signed editions. Uh, in my house, wow. and I mean, I have a mm. I have a two bedroom mm. apartment, so it's not like it's you know really a big place, but, but <laughs> right, there are right. books everywhere, you know. So I, I get that. Um, Lee, the importance of an editor when you mm. are creating your craft, where does it stand next to you actually writing down the story? Uh, I mean, an editor and a great editor is so important. I've been lucky that all three of my editors for four of my books um, mm. have been fantastic and really like somewhat like I learned a lot from each of them. Um, so Chris now has edited the desire card and the ancestor and he did, we re-released my first book slow down with all due mm-hmm. respect. So he did like a re-edit of that. Um, so given him now two other books that wouldn't be a fit for all due respect um, mm. that he edited before my agent will now send them out. Um, to potentially try to get a deal. Um, and it's so much like phenomenal work he put into it. And I think really kind of um, help, will, will hopefully help um, in terms of, uh, you know, the potential that the books have. Um, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know that there's editors who, um, you know, change a lot. I've always said editors with very light hands. And I think that that's worked for my style. Um, and I'm the same with Matt. I don't, I have beta readers, but it's like two friends who are just good readers. Like I never give my book to another writer because that's Oh yeah. I don't blame work. you. Like, yeah. Uh, I, they all yeah, want to yeah. put in their own. That's a, that's a critique now. group and they don't, they don't want to be honest with you or they're mad that you have such a great story idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did that during MFA program and I, I, it was perfect then. Like I had a really solid group of people who we were giving, you know, each other our stuff, but once it becomes professional, it, it, you want to keep it for yourself, really, like, and you don't want other people's, you know, opinions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I want to, first of all, uh, uh, thank Matt Phillips, um, crime fiction author extraordinaire. Matt, what is your website, and where can we find you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. My website is mattphillipswriter.com. Check me out there. I'm also on Twitter at... M-R-P-H-I-L-L-25. It's at Mr. Phil 25. Check me out. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Okay. And, Lee, please give your website and tell us where you are most often on social media. Sure. You could uh, – my website is LeeMatthewGoldberg.com. You could find out about all my stuff on that. Um, on Twitter, I'm Lee Matthew G, um, and I'm also Lee Matthew Goldberg on um, – Facebook and Instagram. So yeah, feel free to stalk me. I want to thank you gentlemen so much. I got to listen to a couple of masters speaking today and I learned a lot from you. And um, it's always nice for listeners not to hear me blabbing 
through most of the show. So I'm glad you were here. Remember, I issued you a challenge. You're each going to tell me who you want to interview or be interviewed by. And until next time, um, listeners, thank you for being with me. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.